to the Novel Discourse podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. I'm Sam, as always. I've got with me Andy, calling in from Austin. Andy, how's it going this week? Pretty good, dude. We're just uh, on standby for the arrival of my first child, so Woo. hectic and anxious Ooh, time big, in the Gatelli household. Big deal. And we got Webb. Webb, how's it going, dude? Feeling good. I do not have a kid on the way, but I am going to Yellowstone <laughs> in a couple days, so Hell yeah, I'm excited dude. about that. That's awesome. It's going to be great. Completely different wavelengths. One of you is escaping responsibility. The other one is fully embracing it. Or I'm, I'm assuming you're embracing <laughs> it, Andy. Anyways, I have a confession to make. I won't explain exactly how this happened, but I've, I have dove headfirst into the, the weird drama and world that is K-pop. And boy, is it fascinating. <laughs> wow. Um, I've heard some, some horror stories from the K-pop world. Is K-pop like a shady industry? It seems to be more exploitative. I can I have definitely heard before that like maybe not the BTSs of the world, but many lower tier acts in K-pop are run like a sideshow act. They work twenty four seven. They live in a house. They don't even get any of their own money. Like it's wild. They live on like ten bucks a day. That's what I was going to start. Is I, we've had a few different adjacent topics on this pod where we've talked about how much these artists are earning and whether or not the artists are truly being fulfilled and all that. But K-pop is kind of, it seems to be towards the bottom of the rung of, of like being a fulfilled artist because I was reading a few different groups that have like anywhere between like six and 10 members that dance around and do all the stuff. And they do, they, these people are putting out like two to three albums a year. They're doing world tours. They're going on all these talk shows all over the world and all this stuff. And I was looking up the net worth of these people and individually like there's some there's some artists that have been doing it for like eight or nine years that have like one million dollars in the bank i believe it yeah and they're just work they're working 24 7 and like you said andy there there will be these acts including bts that all live in the same house so you'll have like eight people living in like a three thousand square foot house in the middle of seoul i i did see that that seems so unfair i did see a segment about a guy that was in bts and then like I want to say it was literally like a week or two before they did their first rollout for their first album. Their PR agency was like, this guy isn't as good looking as we need him to be. And they just swapped him out for some different dude. And so he's like a normal ass dude in an apartment somewhere watching BTS be BTS. Like imagine if like the week before they went on Johnny Carson, like the Beatles had replaced their drummer. You know what I mean? You're just like, like, oh, fuck. BTS is kind of the exception of the rule because I was seeing that they they're they are so enormous. Their average yeah. net worth, yeah, their average net worth is like they're each, they each have like twenty million bucks, which is which doesn't seem like a lot, but when you consider that they've got like seven, dudes, that's the thing. The, the ensemble up. act thing really fucks you like super hardcore. That's why I like being yeah. if you can being like a pop star or a rapper is super awesome because you're like, no, I'm keeping all of these royalties, dog. I'm not splitting songwriting credits between five people. Dude, I saw Justin Timberlake yeah, just sold yeah. his catalog for one hundred million dollars, and honestly, I was kind of surprised by that price. I was like, damn, dude, I kind of would have thought. I mean, that's a lot of money, obviously, but I kind of would have thought. You hear those Justin Timberlake songs like anytime you go like downtown. Yeah, you know they're all. I mean, little little Wayne's catalog got a hundred million, which like right. And the, you don't yeah. you can't just play little Wayne. Well, you can play it at any bar, but you can't play it in like a restaurant or like a. I guess you play at a sporting event. 
Maybe Rocky yeah, I mean, win in sporting events. I, I guess it, I guess honestly, all it really comes down to is like how much revenue those songs are generating. Like, can they place them in movies? Or, you know, how much are people streaming? Those kind of things, and then they take the at probably the average of that, and then times it by a certain number of years, and that's how much it's worth. But I think we're seeing a lot more artists do that at the back half of their career. It used to be a real problem at the beginning of people's careers, you know, like they would sign some terrible contract and lose control of all their masters. And now we're seeing more like people maintain control of their masters. I think people, a lot of people, especially in hip hop following kind of the Jay-Z blueprint for like never lose control of your, your art. And then at the end of your career, once you're not going to tour anymore and you're just like, well, I would rather leave. Yeah. I would rather leave my kids liquid money to invest rather than, cause like the value of Justin Timberlake's catalog has probably crossed some magical inflection point where it's like by investing this in other stuff, it's going to make more money than if I just like let the royalties roll in. Sure, so. sure, sure. Yeah. I, I, I bet it was an extremely thought about process of when he was going to sell that, but uh, back, back to Korea. Cause that's where my heart is really at right now. So a few more things that I found that I thought were really weird and interesting in this kind of like research that I did. Um, one was they've got this thing and I don't, I, I wish I had the name of it in front of me, but effectively there's this Olympic games that goes on between different K-pop artists and maybe other celebrities. And like they, they separate. Oh, so the they're, teams. they're actually competing in <laughs> they athletics. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And it's, it's amazing. It's, it's really cool. Actually. Like at first, such I was like, a weird absurd, requirement. But it's cool because, what if what if American yeah, well, it, like pop stars, you know, rappers and stuff had to do that? They're just dude, just like a, a single elimination UFC fight tournament between like God, all the biggest top forty artists. Actually, they should do that. Well, here's what's cool about it though is if you really if you sit back and think about it, like they, they I think they take it pretty seriously. So it's kind of a way to, from like a country's perspective, kind of elevate getting out and trying sports yeah. and things like that because all these kids are seeing their idols doing things like gymnastics or sprinting relay races and be like, Oh, okay. They're like actually taking it seriously. That that's cool. The so, concept of celebrity really in neat. Korea is so fascinating because I remember they were the first place where esports took off. They had Starcraft teams and the first Dota teams where you're talking about like 50,000 kids in an arena, like screaming for some, no offense, tiny nerd playing StarCraft on a computer in front of an, an entire, you know, stadium filled right. with people and they're cheering and throwing confetti and shooting poppers off. And I remember at the time being like, I can't, I, one, I can't believe you can make money playing video games. And two, I can't believe anyone cares. And now that's obviously this ginormous hundred billion dollar industry and incredibly common and everyone younger than us, like every Zoomer would rather watch streamer, a streamer than like your, your average movie star. You know what I mean? Like two... A kid who's 13 right now, like your Aiden Rosses, your, you know, Shroud, your Dr. Disrespects, like those guys are way bigger to them than, yeah, like a Tom Cruise's, which is crazy, but that's what it is. And yeah, Korea was like very ahead yeah. of the time, their time on that wave. Yeah, the last thing I thought was, was kind of interesting, and, and I might be kind of mischaracterizing exactly how this works, but it seems like Korea's got this thing going on. There's these like music contests. They're not quite as big as like an award show but they're not nearly as small as say like somebody coming into 106 in park or trl and performing live they they kind of operate in between those where once every two or three months they bring in all the big names and they perform live no lip syncing and they dance and they compete the biggest artists will play their latest song and they'll dance to it and sing to it and then at the end they'll 
give an award to who did the that best. That's I think it's kind of cool. Like they they literally they they like rack up wins on these things and be like, oh yeah, this song this single won three or four awards. This one won this many. This band's won this many as a way to like kind of validate who's actually a good performer and who's not. Which I think is kind of that's pretty. That sick, is really I cool. I was I, I will note here that I'm on the BTS Wikipedia page and their cover photo for Wikipedia is them at the White House in May of 2022. They're all in suits in front of the White House lectern, <laughs> and then it, under the background information it says also known as the Bulletproof Boy Scouts, which low key better name. Go about, fire go fire hip hop name. That's super cool, bro. Yeah. That's super fire nickname, dude. Yeah. Sam, I don't know when you did all this K-pop research, but I'm just laughing. I'm laughing sitting here thinking about how far down the rabbit hole you went on K-pop. Because I can tell you've got a sense of admiration. You didn't come on here and just start ripping or joking about K-pop. You're going down a list of like, yeah, well, the other really cool thing about K-pop is they play yeah, sports, dude. man. Tre- tread lightly, dude. You want it, You want your <laughs> Twitter to become really horrible really quickly? Just tweet with no hashtags. Don't tweet at anyone. Just into the void with no followers. Be like, K-pop isn't that good. Boy, your mention's finna fill up, filled with anime profile pictures telling you that they're gonna kill you and your whole family. It's crazy how toxic that I, fan base is on Twitter. I'll tell you how I knew I went too deep is I started getting targeted ads for Disney Channel shows in Korean. <laughs> oh no. I was like, okay, that's that, right. Not only do you think that I, I am the audience for a Disney Channel show because I've been watching way too much K pop stuff, but I, you also think that I'm a Korean. <laughs> Probably a, a young Korean female. Facebook was like, I was going to say, Facebook was like, this is a small Korean girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and no, it's just a bored 31-year-old who's working from home. That's way too much time on his hands. I think it tells you all you need to know about uh, BTS when they came out in 2013. Their first album was called The Number Two, Cool, The Number Four, School. Uh, like man, <laughs> that is some 2013 type Damn. shit right there, dude. That is uh, oh. wow. <laughs> that's like an aim nickname, dude. That's like an aim screen name that someone would have had. Like, it's, yeah, number two cool, number four school. Also, school is spelled S K O O L. Hey, so. quick rundown. What was y'all's aim screen names? Embarrassingly here? enough, Kanye fan 09. Really? Wow. Yeah. I think I, I dude, feel like I, was I don't know for we... Kanye. The one I remember I had in like sixth grade, and it was AFA Pilot 89 because I knew I was going to go to the Air Force Academy. And uh, there you go. <laughs> those dreams didn't pan out. I, mine was very dumb in hindsight. I had so I was worried about privacy. So my aim hashtag or my name my name was no one you know, and then I had my my full birthday, <laughs> like in numbers. Dude. My screen name was uh, uh, the word anonymous, and then my social security number uh, right after it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you might have to. You uh, might have to delete that. I don't know if anyone, get... I went in when looking at my old AIM conversations. The only the only thing I remember about AIM was talking to girls that I liked and being like, "I like someone," and, they, and they'd be like, "Yeah, oh, yeah," and I'd be like, "Yeah, Ew. yes," and they would literally name every girl in the school except for them, and I'd be like, "Nope." No, nope. nope. I mean, in hindsight, nope. just like the creepiest, you know. How funny would it be, like, if I asked you out? Like, how hilarious would that be? <laughs> um, you're, you're, like, soft asking them out, like, and they're like, oh, I would probably say no. You're like, huh, yeah, I know, for real. That's why I was kidding. Anyway, like, Dude, GCG, next, see you later. next script that we start writing, I want there to be a character who's going to be an adult, and we'll just base all of his interactions off of, like, how we would have acted on it in sixth grade. <laughs> It's got to be a funny oh movie character. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he'll be, he'll be in, 
And he'll be in prison in like by the second act, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I definitely had an a girl that I talked to on AIM that was in my class who I talked to for like an entire summer, like two hours a day, and then wondered if she liked me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, this girl spending her entire time with me, and I'm like, man, I wonder if she's into dude, me. I remember a girl I was crazy about a name who even had, you know how you could click on their little profile, and back then the profile wasn't much, but there was like a space to just kind of write anything you want. Oh, yeah. would get X's and O's and start making like hearts and like, you oh yeah, scroll right. down your shout thing, out dude. list. Like the your shout out list of yeah, inside yeah, yeah. jokes. And there was totally this girl had gone over the top and was like, "I love Web," and I, I would still be like, "I don't know, man. I hope she likes me." <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Is it, is, it, is it me she's talking about or another yeah, one? Right. All right, so let's get into why I really brought you guys here today, which is our best villains podcast. This is something that I've personally been looking forward to so much because I think that villains. Which, again, it's not the same thing as an antagonist, and we'll get into that, but I think that villains and the kind of antagonizing force of stories really make the story. And so I've been looking forward to this Best Villains podcast since we really started the podcast. Um, let me let me start off by asking you guys this. What do you guys think off the dome? What, what do you think is the difference between an antagonist and a villain? I'll start with Andy. What do you think? Yeah, I would say that... Um... <clears throat> The antagonist is just the opposite of whatever the force is that we are focusing the story on. Um, so, you know, that doesn't necessarily give you any perspective into, like, the morality or the moral stance of the individual in question. A really good villain in film, like, draws out and embodies some attribute of, like, evil that we as a collective audience all agree is, like, you know, one of the fundamental pillars of evil. So whether or not it's, like, greed... You know, like one of these like kind of fundamental attributes, I think that is what really brings it all to me. So and I'll also say that I think that the line gets blurred a lot. Like I, I, I want to use examples, but I don't want to give away any of my selections. So uh, I think yeah, that, you don't want to give me any I ideas. Think that there are, uh, <laughs> I think that there are people who are very clearly evil in the in the story, but they operate in such a way that makes you like kind of like them because they are such a fun and like witty and intelligent antagonist. And so I think that that can lend itself to being a really memorable movie villain as well. Is that like they are they're such a great yeah. match for the hero um a, a, or a great foil as well is a great attribute to have. Yeah. What do you think Webb? What, what what how would you differentiate between an antagonist and a villain? I think a villain has more to do with the central theme of the story and that a good villain has in a lot of cases the same goals as the hero but just goes about them in a different way um whereas an, atta- an antagonist can just be like any sort of adversary that you know and i i kind of agree with both of you i i had wrote down that a villain or i guess i'll start with an antagonist because i think an antagonist is a little bit clearer to define as i think an antagonist is just any any entity that that is in direct opposition with the protagonist and maybe their goals are aligned and they're going for the same thing, or maybe their morals are completely opposing each other. I think the difference between an antagonist and a villain is, is kind of twofold. I think a villain has a little bit of malice inside of them. Like something's not wired quite the same way. And then also I think that a villain is a little bit more of a mountain to climb. I think that there are some antagonists, within stories 
like uh, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an example in a in a story that we 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 always talk about. Uh, famous, obviously, example is Harry Potter. I feel like Draco Malfoy is kind of an antagonist, but he's not really a villain. Whereas Voldemort obviously is a villain. Let, right? let me ask Where you a, a uh, let me ask you an example, example of one because I'm um, at the risk of giving away one of my favorites here. Uh, Hans Landa from yeah is he is he because. On one hand, like, I don't think he has that much malice. You know what I mean? Like, he seems to be evil? like, this is my... I mean, no, he's definitely evil, but it doesn't seem like... You don't think Nazis are evil? Whoa, whoa, whoa. We, everyone wait, back up. Let's hold this that? back for a second. What's Andy saying here? Last episode, he's quoting Stalin, and now he's siding with the Nazis? He, what, where do you stand, what Andy? I think, he, the, I think the public uh, needs to know. You know what I mean here. He's obviously <laughs> evil. What I'm saying is that he doesn't, he doesn't seem to operate with any particular malice towards his enemies in the story, which are the bastards. I mean, he even sits down with them and is just like, hey, looks like you guys are going to win. I guess I'll switch teams. You know what I mean? So he's not like, he's not personally invested in killing them. He doesn't give a shit. He just wants to like survive. He's like a rat. So, but at the same time, like he's like incredibly ingenious. Like he's kind of the main like intellectual adversary throughout the entire story. Is he more of an antagonist than a villain? Because I mean, I think he's a great movie villain. You know what I mean? I will say this: your villain, your villain, villain does I mean, need to be evil. The antagonist is going to be someone who is just. If they're a Nazi, are on. they just automatically a villain? Yeah, an, an antagonist is going to have conflict with the protagonist, but they they may not necessarily be evil. An antagonist doesn't need to be evil where a villain does. I I kind of side with Webb's definition a little bit. I think that a villain can be an a antagonist, obviously, but I think there are some antagonists that are not villains. A good example from a podcast that we've done recently is miracle i the soviets are a great antagonistic force but i don't think they are Whoa, villains, dude, you don't you didn't right? think yeah. you they're didn't not they don't Stalin's act like villains evil? wow <laughs> andy andy coming out as pro-nazi and sam coming out as pro-communist like the entire political God, the political polls of the line. podcast have flipped dude we have flipped yeah yep. hey they were just misunderstood <laughs> so how are so how are we uh, are we doing anyway. this similar to the last draft we did sam or like how is this working we're gonna we're gonna do a snake draft Sweet. um we're going to do it in this order. We're going to flip around from what we did last time. So we're going to go, Webb is going to go first. Andy's going to go second. I'm going to go third. And it's going to loop back around to me. And I'm going to go fourth. Andy goes fifth. Webb goes sixth, Sweet. et cetera. So let's wow. get started. Webb, okay. you have the number. I feel like, I feel like this is, again, I, I've said this in our last snake draft. I feel like number one pick is both, both a blessing and a curse because you have to just say what is the best villain of all time, right? But there are, in my opinion, this is kind of like the and, and I, I want to see what you guys do, but I feel like this is the Peyton Manning Ryan Leaf draft where like every everybody believes there's like two equal top villains, and I want to see if you guys agree well, with that. And it's I, just I like, think who do, there's two and very it, clear. And it comes down to like who do you think like in your experience, based on like what you've experienced in life, who do you find to be the most villainous, or are you going with like? Who's the most iconic villain or, you know what I mean? There's a bunch of different directions you could take it. Yeah. Yeah. And you actually reminded me, I, I had one more question for you guys before we get into the draft. What, what do you think makes a great villain? And I'll, and I will, uh, I'm actually going to start this one because I wrote down four criteria that I think make a great villain. And I don't think that any really awesome villain has to have all of these. I don't think one's necessarily more important than the other, but I think these are four criteria that I've noticed in a lot of great villains. Number one is they're iconic. Whether they represent a film or a novel or a series or an entire franchise, I think just being an iconic, strong figure is important. Number two, especially if it is a 
sci-fi story or a high fantasy story, I think a cool character design is important, right? We talked about Darth Maul and how cool of a villain he was in our Star Wars prequels podcast. I think having a cool character design is really important. Number three is, I, I called it, I don't, know if, I don't even know if this is a word in hindsight, but I said insurpassability. So they're just that much better or more competent than our hero, right? They're, they're just a force to be reckoned with. And then number four, and this is kind of a nice to have, is ideology, right? Or background, right? I, I personally like when a villain either has an ideology that they believe in or has a background that leads you to understand how they became a villain as opposed to just they're an entity of evil, like a, you know, like the bad guy in a Suicide that's Squad. A, that's an, that last like one's interesting a, because I think you were mentioning a minute ago that there are two that a lot of people choose. And one of the two I think is very distinctly lacking in that. Like he is. I agree. I agree. And I think we know which one that is. Those things. So yeah. Yeah. But Webb, please give us, give us your choice here, Webb. I was going to say to kind of piggyback off Sam, I think that your villain, um, and this is kind of like what I said earlier about your, sometimes this takes shape in the fact that the villain may have the same goal as the hero and they go about it in different ways, but a really good villain is going to help define your main character. You know, their character arc is defined by their opposition to this villain. I think that the villain obviously needs to be a very strong opponent or like a worthy opponent to the main character. Um, hey, and the more evil, the better. I like it. Yeah. Agre- so who I agree are you choosing, Webb? Well, I'll tell you this much. I wasn't going to... Number one overall I was pick. not going to choose this choice originally, but I also didn't know I was going to be number one pick overall. I feel like I was kind of going after the sleepers. Um, there you go. But, you know, Sam said... His first criteria that he listed was iconic, so I'm going to roll with Darth Vader. You gots to. You yeah, gots I mean, dude, you, could you not? Yeah, it's got one pick overall, dude. Like, I gotta, yeah. I gotta grab him, bro. I, I gotta say this about Darth Vader. I am a huge believer in like one of the like primary, and this might be a uniquely American perspective on like masculinity in general, but. I think the twin concepts that make someone like intimidating and like that all men kind of aspire to is this weird combination of like totally aloof, don't care, but also secretly incredibly like capable. You know what I mean? Like the everyone wants to act like, oh, I don't even care about this, but I'm also super badass at it. That is the vibe everyone wants to bring to every table. Darth Vader throughout his like up until like the end of Return of the Jedi never raises his voice he's always like he doesn't run anywhere he walks everywhere and yet he can just like point at someone and they choke to death that is like the perfect encapsulation of like mysteriously aloof secretly competent like vader nails it you bring up a good point i think the force choke kind of sells it because there's this element when you're first watching a new hope or i guess what what, what it was called star wars you've got this guy who's you know six foot five plus tall wearing all black he's got this weird mask on and all that and you're probably if you're if you're watching this movie in the late 70s early 80s you're probably not really sure what to think about him but then the moment that he just kind of like barely lifts a finger and a guy starts choking you're just like i don't know what that is but that's pretty crazy when they redid that sequence for rogue one and they made it like way more fucking brutal you're just like god damn dude darth vader's scary as fuck dude like he is terrifying he is scary He's very it, scary. It does, it does lend to this weird thing, though, where at the end of Return of the Jedi, Luke is the only one who's with, you know, Palpatine dies, and it's just 
Luke, Vader, and Palpatine up there. Vader turns to the good side, throws the Emperor over, and dies. Luke comes back down to the planet with all the rebels, and they're like, oh, damn, dude, he was your dad? And he's like, yeah, he's my dad. And they're like, cool. And he's like, yeah, he turned good at the end. Like, bro, can you imagine that with any other, like, evil person of that magnitude? If, like, at the end of World War II, they were like, yeah, dude, at the very last minute, Hitler turned out to be one of the good guys. Like, Darth Vader is a war criminal on the on a level that has been unseen by the galaxy. <laughs> but at the end of Return of the Jedi, they're like, no, nah, he's tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, You know, weirdly enough, I wouldn't, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I'm the guy on this podcast who gets, like, super into the technical aspect and is like, no, that's not done well. Like, F this author. But I will say this, like, the way that they do that and the fact that Darth Vader's redemption quote-unquote is is done so it's there is like a clear line in the sand he kills the emperor right he effectively he throws him overboard so it's not a hard sell to be like was he redeemed right and so it'd almost be like a character arc over you know i don't want to i don't want to use a real world i don't want to use a real world example as to like invoke anger but it would yeah it'd be like if sauron at the last second decided to like press a button and all the orcs died it's like well Okay. Also, he, he decided at the end. Not also, to. based on what Disney did in the later three trilogy, we know that the Emperor just when he got thrown over that balcony, he immediately woke up alive again in a clone body somewhere else, oh, and Vader's dude. sacrifice was for nothing. I don't so. know if I want to accept that. <laughs> Vader died for no reason and uh, didn't do anything. But no, Vader is an amazing selection. He is maybe. I mean, I think I, I do not think it's going overboard to say he's the most iconic villain. Like. Yeah, at least in that top three group where like if you're like who is give me a villain in a movie like five to seven people out of ten are going to say Darth Vader because he's right. just like he represents, is the, yeah, he is the Michael know. Jordan or Tiger Woods of cinema villains. So absolutely. I, I, I mean, I think y'all said just about everything I would say. But yeah, that's my number one draft pick. And how could it not be? So, Darth Vader, Star Wars. You like how we just let we we didn't even make Webb defend his. Decision. Well, to be honest, I wasn't <laughs> yeah, gonna. Dude, just basically dude, like I wasn't gonna pick up Darth Vader, so it's not like I have a ton of notes on him. I was actually hoping y'all would just piggyback and car- carry me through that. I knew, but you know, you I'm like the NFL owner who doesn't know shit. I just I know that this guy's <laughs> number one overall. I'm like, fuck it. They're like, you ran a what? A good, we already have a good quarterback. Whatever. Yeah. How could you pass them up? Yeah, I think we did. Okay, so we did in our best screenplays of the 90 podcast. I don't remember exactly what movie went first. Do you guys remember what movie went first in that? Uh, I remember what I picked first. I picked it, right? What and it's I probably going to be one of the first villains y'all pick. Godfather or something? No, this didn't come out in the 90s. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, true. I don't know. Bro, you got to know uh, that. Damn, I, maybe I... Uh, I don't know if I you picked like, like one of the Godfather fiction? 4 off straight to DVD. Nope, nope, I got that one. We'll look it up. Yeah, I gotta Man, look it no, up. We should I can't remember, remember what I selected. God, this is embarrassing. <laughs> we're, we're such a fake chai podcast. That's great. We don't even remember. But anyways, I, I, I do remember me making the analogy that it was like getting a Eric Fisher surefire left tackle that's like going to be an anchor to your offensive line, just like a no brainer, but not necessarily sexy. I feel like Darth Vader is. You just went and got the the obvious choice for QB one. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Right. Trevor Lawrence. Like, just like Right. Yeah, yeah. No miss. No hey, miss. was it I was, was your number yeah. one pick overall City of God or Saving Private Ryan? I feel like that no, you would have picked. I definitely uh, picked overall. I definitely picked City of God, but it wasn't with my number one pick. I'd have to go back and look it up because I Is City of God in the nineties? No, it's yes. not even. It's in the two thousands. Okay. Yeah. So We're all turned Some around. City Let's just God leave the nineties we'll podcast we'll in go, the nineties. 
We'll we'll have to go back and look it up. But okay, is it is it me? By the way, City of God. I'm, I I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna reference it for like the ninth time. We recorded an episode on it. We still have not released the City oh, of God damn, episode. Dude. That was a good episode too. <laughs> People are like, "Where is the City of God episode?" We just it's it's it's, it's become, in the vault. It's elusive. It's like on our it's on our record. Patreon. Yeah. So if you want yeah, the City subscribe, of God, like and subscribe, just sign up, motherfucker. <laughs> All right. So is it me? Yeah. Anyways, go. It is you. Okay. Uh, so first, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, wondering if we were going to use, like... I know who you're picking. Do you? I know who you're picking. Do you? Then why don't okay. you just pick it for him, then, dude? Yeah. Should I say it? Should I... Can I just say it sure. for you? Can I turn in the envelope yeah, for you? Tell me it's going to be such a fail oh, if It's you, not the Joker. You, you're picking it's the Joker. It's not the Joker. Oh! Okay. I'm picking Damn, Anton... Right. Sh- I'm picking Anton Chigurh from No Country for All. Oh! I love that choice! Ooh. I love that. Yeah. Dog. When you talk about oh just like the living embodiment of fucking terror, an unstoppable force that is just coming for you. And I think what I love so much about that movie is they did such a good job creating a protagonist that was very relatable. Like he's a very normal guy. He doesn't have any like supreme skills. He doesn't have some crazy background. He's not a Green Beret or something. He's dude, he has dude. no background. That's kind of what's cr- right. a, good th- a crazy yeah. thing about him. Is usually a good villain. You want to have him to have a good backstory. But kind of the cool thing about that character is that he has literally like he's like a just man in black who shows up. He's from nowhere and I've actually he's heard death. That the co- he's just the- He's just death on the pale horse. Dude. Right, he just right. Like rides in and fucks you up. And Dude, I heard uh, I when the Coen brothers terrifying. casted that, that they were looking for someone who just looked like they came from the planet Mars. And like, that's yeah, it. And, that's, and dude, yeah. he, he absolutely murders this role. Yeah. Um, Javier Bardem, shout out. Yeah, Javier Bardem. And, Man, just like everything about this, the scene where he goes into the gas station and asks the dude what's the most you ever lost on a coin flip is just absolutely like spine shivering in how scary it is. Um, They even and the guy doesn't know. Yeah, Yeah. the the the, uh, his use of like the cattle bolt gun to like just like compressed air take dudes out is so fucking scary. It's awesome. I think he is. A near like for that kind of movie where it's like you know being hunted kind of thing like he is like such a it's so perfect I don't know if it'll ever be done that well again so my first choice from the Coen Brothers masterpiece you've sold me yeah Anton Chigurh you've sold me I feel like you just took a uh, lanky wide receiver as a number two overall pick when there's like when you have other needs I do. which dude it, it's, it's a Calvin, great baby. it's <laughs> Calvin Johnson like. <laughs> dude it's it's a great pick because you sold me in the, in the sense that there are three to four scenes in that movie that i i think about and i'm like god these are some of the best modern villain moments yeah. i think about the and and these aren't necessarily like characterization but they are just like such great scenes you talked about the cow pressure gun scene how about the scene where the the cop is calling yeah about this guy he just booked and then in the background you see javier bordin i Sorry, I forget the villain's character's name, but like he he does the handcuffs below his feet and then like uses it to choke yeah, the dude. guy out. That's oh it's just God. like it tru- Incre- he's almost scene. on the level of like it's like a a more realistic version of like a Michael Myers or a Jason where they just keep coming. Like no matter what you do to them, no matter what happens to them, it's just an unstoppable force that pursues you over any terrain forever. Right, he's, he's got so like for it. I think the rider on the pale horse is a good analogy. This guy has a relentless determination, and he's very like quiet. He kind of just shows up out of nowhere, 
um, very stealthy. And, you know, it, it's, I'm trying to figure out what motivates that character because it, I don't think it's money. Like, he, you know, he kills his employer at one point. Like, he kills the guy who's contracting him out because he finds out that he also hired those Mexican dudes. And then he explains yeah. all this to, to that guy's accountant. And, and he's very just like, I, he's very, I, I always think of the scene where he's sitting there and he's on the phone with his boots and the blood, like Woody Harrelson's blood is just trickling towards his boots and he kind of very carefully lifts them up and just puts them on the bed and keeps talking on the phone. It's almost like he was, uh, so he was not he, on the, uh, an, an independent group of psychologists for the journal of forensic science named that role, the most realistic depiction of a psychopath ever on film. And I think that's yep. really telling. Um, also the, the signature weapon of like a captive bolt stunner is really like, I think it's so perfect because one, it's crazy, right? Like that's, that's fucking nuts to carry that around and use it as your primary weapon Two, it, it shows you this really interesting insight into like how he views his victims. Like they're just like cattle that he's slaughtering. You know what I mean? Like that's fucking crazy. Yeah, but he and doesn't I, kill. As far as, I'm sorry, get, continue. I didn't mean to he kills one off. guy with it, though. Remember, he puts. He's no, like, no, no, what no, no, no. Do? I, what I was gonna say is that he um he doesn't seem to kill anyone with malice. You know, like every time every oh, person for sure. that he kills is kind of like someone who he he has to kill. For the most part, well, I guess that's I, not oh, totally for sure. true. Well, I, no, I he feel like maybe car. when you uh, when you ask like what motivates him. He is a very much a, a, a psychopath in that he has this weird, like, set of morals, quote-unquote. You know, like, he doesn't kill for no reason. He, he always kills with a purpose, like, blah, blah, blah. Also, he strikes me as someone, and these people exist in the real criminal underworld, where, like, he would have been a serial killer. He just happened to find a career that right, allowed him to, like, right. act on those impulses. And so now... In order to not let his life get out of control, he channels all that. That's why he only kills people that are like part of the mission, right? Like, but yep. it's it's nuts, dude. And it's he lacks and he lacks any emotion. Like every the only time you see him kill someone and show some sort of emotion is that scene that Sam mentioned where he strangles the cop. Yeah, when he's choking the dude out. He has the yeah. kind of this weird like sexual that crazy in his smile, eyes. dude. Yeah. yeah, but everyone else he kills, he, and you know he walks around with a set of what seems to be principles. Like I said, he kills his employer. When he talks to that guy at the gas station, and that guy mentions that he inherited uh, the gas, like his business from his family, Javier Bardem kind of scoffs at him. He's like, "Oh." So I think that he's yeah. got a weird. Um, he's he's got like a weird set of principles, but at the same time, it's like I don't really know what motivates him. And there's no backstory to him. He truly is just the guy, the man in black who will always be lurking over your shoulder. And that's what makes him terrifying. He, he he kills every single person. He kills or tries to kill every single person he encounters in the film, except for like three. Like the dude at the gas station, the chick at the motel. He hears that toilet flush and he thinks about it for a second. And then he's just like, eh. and then those two kids on the bike. Then he's just like, right. Okay. <laughs> just yeah. like, it's so crazy, dude. So yeah, that's my number two. Um, it's a great honestly pick. he was number he was number 46 on the empire magazine list of villains and i was like i know empire that, that, know that maybe that's a reach that that might be a reach but dude it's for not. me like he's he's that he's that good he's that good right so that's i agree pick. i love that pick i think you've sold me on it i i 
was it a reach perhaps, but I think you've sold me on. He really was that, that great of a villain. Yeah. He's awesome. There's no doubt. Okay. So I guess I've showed my hand. Number three pick. I, I just have to do it. I have to go Joker. Nice. Hey, Which, so now, when you say the Joker, what, are you talking? What, what do you want to say? Oh, about you know what he means. Uh, He's talking about the you, Joker. I was, was going to say, Heath are you Ledger going Heath Ledger Joker here, or are you doing the general concept of the Joker? I'm going the general oh, concept okay. of the Joker. Interesting. Of just, yeah, just the, it, w- I guess with an emphasis on, on the Heath Ledger Joker, now that I've heard your reaction. But <laughs> you're talking about a, first of all, let's, let's, go, with, let's go with my criteria. Iconic. Definitely iconic. Obviously. Char- character design. Absolutely. It's a, it, it kind of displays itself. And and I guess with the character design, it kind of depends on which which iteration of the Joker you're talking about. Um, three, this insurmountability. Yeah, he is... And this kind of ties into the ideology, just based on who the Joker is and what he represents of just being a pure force of chaos, which we've talked about in our, in our podcast of The Batman. He's just the perfect anti or the the perfect foil to batman as well as to gotham right he's just the perfect force i mean that's what he represents is just chaos and destruction in a city that greatly needs stability in gotham and in a villain that or sorry a hero with the batman who is you know tries to pulverize his adversaries into submission the joker you can't do that with the joker right because he he has no fear he has no sort of um he has no wants or needs he's just he's just there for destruction which is you know for somebody who's all about you know keeping the order keeping the peace like batman he's just the perfect foil um and where batman is you know you know got all the dark the navy and the black and hides in the shadows the joker's flamboyant he'll wear you know a white face and all this makeup and he's out and about he's making a show of it all right so they're just it, obviously iconic. He's obviously difficult, a difficult challenge for Batman. He is, he's everything, right? He's, I, to me, he is right up there with Vader as, as being a incredibly competent and iconic villain. And he, to me, he is just like such a obvious first pick for me. I, there's other, there's other villains that I put as top tier and, are right below that, but for, to me, Vader and Joker were the top two that I was like, it's hard to go against those yeah, guys. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're the you're the Batman guy. I want to hear what you. I want to hear you rave about the Joker. Joker is like, which you've already done on this for pod sure. Before, the Joker is definitely like the best Batman villain. Um, I think, especially once you get deep into Joker, like the Joker lore. Like I could pull some some Joker graphic novels off the the shelf over here to my left. I have some really, I mean, the killing things like the Killing Joke that are like considered the classic Joker stories. Um, the Joker is really the villain that pushes Batman to his absolute limit. Like it's Joker who um, rapes Batgirl. It's Joker who kills the first Robin. Like it's Joker who takes it so far that Batman really questions deep inside himself whether he should kill someone. Because it doesn't matter how many times he puts Joker in Arkham. Like, he's always going to get out. And Joker doesn't want anything. Like, all he wants is for Batman to kill him. Like, that's what he wants, is for Batman to break. And, like, as soon as he kills Joker, Joker's won. So it's like this impossible catch-22. So I do think he's, like, the best Batman villain. Um, I mean, he might be the best superhero villain, right? Yeah, he's definitely up there. That that would be a crazy Who's discussion better? of its own. <sighs> wow. 
I just don't, um, I, I mean, I think he's probably the best superhero villain. Talk about like a complete, when you, when you talk about your hero and your villain having not the same goal, but like the same struggle. I feel like Batman and Joker line up so well. They're, they're great kind of reflections of each other. And I don't know if there's anyone more iconic. Yeah, certainly most, uh, I would say most superheroes do not have an iconic tete-a-tete like Batman and Joker do. Like most of them have like a, a, a whole carnival of villains that they face every once in a while. You can maybe make the case for like Superman Brainiac being uh, similar as far as like the amount of times they've fought. But uh, I just personally think Superman's kind of whack. So yeah, I would say you could make a strong case for the idea that Joker's the best comic book supervillain and... He also offers the greatest opportunity for, like, self-critique of the comic book genre, the superhero genre. Like, it's through stories involving the Joker that we've gotten the greatest critical, self-critical stories from Batman about, like, is it healthy for Batman to be doing this? Is Batman really a hero? Like, this billionaire who lives in this city, like, you know, he doesn't do anything to, like, you know, address the real issues in the city. He puts on armor and beats the shit out of petty criminals at night. Like, what does that say about the society that he lives in? Like, all those things are often spawned from a story of Batman and the Joker. Because it's the Joker who's willing to, like, pull the, ma- the like, the pretty mask off of Gotham and be like, look what you, you're, look what this is. Like, so I think, yeah, I would say I think you're right now that I really think through it. I, I think the Joker's I mean, I think he's got to be the best comic, comic book hero of all time. Um and shouts out to the Heath Ledger Joker, because that was a whole other level of Joker and yeah. a different backstory from the original. Obviously, he's had kind of multiple iterations of what his backstory is. But, I mean, dude. Yeah, and I, and I don't know if back, we'll ever get I mean, close to that again, honestly. No, like They've no. tried. I mean, he and, goaded that. Uh, yeah, and it's it's impossible to know. It's kind of like the Biggie Tupac thing. It's like we'll never know how good they would have been if they hadn't died. And we don't know how their music would have been received if they hadn't died. Like the weight of a death to a creative is so powerful that it like it, it warps our view of their art. So that role was iconic. And then the fact that it effectively killed him, like makes it so that it's like 10 times as iconic and crazy. And now it's like, any role after that is going to effectively, you either have to take it in a totally different direction which can go very poorly, a la Jared Shout Leto. Shout out Jared Leto. Or yeah. you can try to like kind of do an approximation of that, which just comes off as kind of cheap. So, yeah, it's, it's a bro, challenge. How many, but... how many incels is Heath Ledger's The Joker responsible for? Bro, or just the Joker, and like the, the even the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, dude. Like that is just like the 4chan fucking living mask. Which is also yeah, but great, that's kind of like a great rendition of The Joker. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was. I mean, that's second best for sure. Dude, while we're on that's the subject, that's a great movie. I I don't really know if I really saw. I really don't really understand why that movie needed to be about the Joker. It didn't really have anything to do with the Joker. Like it was like, yeah, he put on clown ma- a clown makeup at one point, but like, I don't know. It, I, yeah. I well, I'm not a huge fan of that movie, so like maybe that's that's why I'm kind of hating it. But I was like, the Batman part was totally shoehorned in. It didn't really have anything to do with Batman yeah, or the true. Joker. It, it would it could have been a totally fine story without trying to make it a comic book movie, which it really wasn't. So that's my right. Take. But you know what? I, At the same I, time, I, I there's agree. been so well, many iterations of the Joker that I kind of think that it was cool that they developed a whole movie. If you're going to do a movie about the Joker, and you've got yeah. you know Heath Ledger's Joker, which you can't redo, you've got the campy old Joker that we used to have in the '60s, and you've got Nicholson's Joker. Like that's kind of a that's kind of a cool angle. 
Yeah, and, and you let a, a guy, an actor as good as Joaquin, sink his teeth into it. Like, if you're going to try to tackle the Joker at this point, you almost need someone that good to, like, yep. take a shot because it's going to be tough. Hey, yeah. while we're on the subject... he It was a good... What, what, while you think it maybe wasn't necessary for that to be a Joker film, I do think that that's... I agree with what you're saying, but I also think that it was a really good job of Joaquin Phoenix playing. Oh, for sure. Incredible. Kind of a, a nuanced version Incredible. of the Joker. It was such a cool version And of we Joker. got Joaquin... Like, like the scene where... Like okay, so, so one of the things that I think is really cool about that film is, obviously, like, the, the they gave him the, uh, the medical condition where he can't help but laugh. Yeah, I thought that was definitely. kind of cool. But I think that it has one of the coolest scenes in that I can think of in, in, in the last two or three years film is when he has his first uh, kill, which I think happened on the subway. Yeah, those dudes are he, put picking he, on him out of, out of a pan. Yeah. He, out of panic, he locks himself in a bathroom and his music starts playing and he starts slowly dancing in front of the mirror. That was completely ad lib. That's nuts. The scene was supposed to be, he walking Phoenix, the Joker locks himself in the bathroom and kind of panics and the scene ends, but he just walking Phoenix started just like slowly dancing in the mirror Dude, and that walking is a goat was, though like, ever since commodus and gladiator walking been a goat dude yeah yeah he's which been i don't know if anyone's gonna select commodus from gladiator so i apologize but they should because that shit was fire which is why my fourth dude pick, um a while, well, well i was gonna just say? gonna say while we're on the subject of like villains and batman or, or more superman um i know i don't think anyone y'all is gonna pick this so i if if you are, please stop me. But I want to give a special shout out to the <clears throat> Amazon Prime series, The Boys and Homelander. Oh, I, dude, that I dude's evil that as fuck. So much. That dude is dude, so. I, I, have you been watching dude. the new season, bro? Oh, yeah. He is so dude, evil, I, dude. I've, I've read all the comics. I've read the entire series of The Boys, so I know like effectively how it'll end. But it's like one of my favorite shows on TV. And like, dude, the first the first episode Homelander of this season, is so nuts, they, dude. Yeah, Homelander is fucking crazy, and then. <laughs> On top of that, just like they're going so far now, like the the Ant Man stand in in this season, like going into that dude's dick and then like right, sneezing right, right. from cocaine and exploding. Oh, it's so great. It's so great. Like, have you have you gotten to episode three, like the latest episode of the season? Because Homelander is just being extra shitty at oh, this point, dude. Just just wait, because like if it goes where the comics went, like Homelander gets like a thousand times worse <laughs> like he's just starting to show cracks. like dr manhattan level or he's not even like doc because dr manhattan no this guy's more like evil totally than that. i was gonna say dr manhattan is just like becomes totally removed from humanity like he's no but i mean like as shit. far as like what he does he, you can't stop this try, guy. like that kind of shit. yeah this is like superman becoming uh like an actual nazi and so he's like he like becomes <laughs> like, completely convinced he becomes completely convinced that he is the master race and that he should be above all of us. And so like, like there's a scene where they go to this, they go to this convention called capes for Christ, which is like a superhero led Christian convention. And they're like some lucky family wins a, a big prize and it's dinner with Homelander. And so they're on stage in their car and he picks them up and like, all right, we're going to dinner. And he flies them up into the air and they're all like, huh, it's a, uh, it's getting kind of cold up here. Uh, can you, can you take us down Mr. Homelander? And he goes, and he's like, you know, I'm really tired of you people asking things of me. And the guy goes, oh, God. And he goes, there is no God. There's only one man in the sky, and it's me. 
and he drops the family to their death, and then he just like stops and turns around. You're just like, yeah. Jesus Christ! In, in, dude, in like... this version of the show, it's a girl who's about to commit suicide and jump off a building, and like she's she's dead set on it. And they do this thing because the whole point of the boys is they're it's like superheroes combined with corporate America, so they're run by this corporation called Vought. And every year on Homelander, Ima- imagine birthday, if imagine if the Avengers had real superheroes in it. So they're like making the Avengers, but the stars of the Avengers movie yeah. are the Avengers. It's really crazy. Yeah, right. well, every year on Homelander's birthday, he's supposed to go save someone from suicide. It's like Homelander's birthday suicide saving thing. And he goes to meet this girl on top of a building, and she's, like, determined to do it. And then he gives her this whole talk about, like, you know, there's no God, and I'm the only man in the sky. And all of a sudden, she starts crying. She's like, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. And he's basically like, oh, you're going to do it. He's, he, he's like, no, see, now now I need you to jump. You're going to yeah, fucking yeah. jump. Dude, it, it is literally like Hitler and Superman combined. So if he was a little it's, more it's iconic so or in our lexicon, I would totally be picking Homelander. I just wanted to give him a special shout out because um, he's super evil, dude. Yeah, that dude. Yeah, nine, I, like, I agree. Their it version like... of nine eleven, where like the terrorists attack the plane and they send the superheroes to go stop the terrorist attack, and they go on the plane and they accidentally like fuck up and fry all the controls, and they're like, "Oh shit, this is a big mess." Let's get out of here. And they just leave everyone to die on 9-11. You're just like, oh, my God, right. dude. This is so dark. Oh, man. I've got the number I've got the number four pick. Do tell. And I'm going to tell you right now that I'm picking a I'm picking a literary villain. And I want you guys to try to guess who it is. I'm going to give you each one is guess. Is it Voldemort? It's not Voldemort. If you're going to pick anyone from all of literature... So I'm, it's a literature oh. villain... Um, mm. What is it Sauron? You can say it, Andy. If you is think. it Sauron? No, it's not Sauron. That's good. That's a good guess. It's a really good guess. I don't know, Sam. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm out. Number four overall pick. I'm going to go with. To me. Oh wait, I do got one. I do got a guess. I do got a guess. What's Sherlock Holmes' enemy? Harry Moriarty or whatever. Oh yeah, I mean, that's yeah, yeah. classic. Professor Moriarty. No, it's not. But that's, that's a good I, one. I did think. I did think about doing that pretty high up. Count Dracula. Okay. Ooh. All right. Damn, dude. Classic. Classic. Wow. Okay. Okay. First. Okay. Iconic as hell has been yeah, done. Probably the obviously, goat. the the novel was huge. He's done multiple films. Just like became the physical embodiment of what a vampire is, yeah. and then became like the one of the most, if not the most, single iconic uh, Halloween costume monster. <laughs> Yeah, like the most iconic monster yeah, for like, sure, right? If you if you're thinking about doing something for Halloween, it's like I'm going to be. It's a like vampire. second only to like bedsheet ghost. I want to be a, in in like the like rudimentary scary right, things. It's, yeah, category. Right, it's vampire is right up there, and every vampire rendition since then has been a rendition of yeah, Dracula, absolutely. Right? They and even so, give him like a Transylvanian dude, accent. And, like they, it's definitely Count Dracula for sure. Dude, and 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 vampires or Count Dracula's story from the novel is absolutely nuts and it's it's been like it's been like eight years since I, I it's been probably yeah eight years since i read the novel so i don't remember all the details but he's he is a he was a uh aristocrat from transylvania back when the uh ottomans were like invading that territory because he's like, ba- he like he's he's based on vlad the impaler right like that's yeah. who he's effectively modeled on yeah he was based on yeah he was based on that but the character in the novel is not supposed to be vlad the impaler, okay got it makes got sense it. so right so um he 
He is obsessed with his blood heritage that he he's supposed to be a direct descendant of Attila the Hun, and he was super into art, uh, uh, alchemy. And then this novel created. Think about this. Think about this novel coming out, and, and this novel created like all these powers from scratch. Of just like Count Dracula is reported to be like as strong as twenty dudes, has no shadow, is is like weirdly uh, is weirdly like not powerful against like garlic and stuff like he has he has telekinesis hypnotism he's got a couple lame ass weaknesses uh, like it kind of sucks that garlic and shit and like sunlight can hurt him but yes he can fly dude like this guy can defy gravity he's telepathic he's hypnotic and if he bites your ass you also turn into a vampire so like yeah and it, yeah and he does so throughout the novel he does that it's it's kind of a crazy and again i i, I it's been a while since i've read it but i will say that it is crazy the the plot of like he's trying to move from Transylvania to England and like set up a base of like where he's gonna do his vampire shit. Dracula is a very learned individual and he he carries himself very he's he's very much like a, a I wouldn't even say like a womanizer but he's a charmer and he's a like, wants to be an aristocrat. Yeah, and he's and he's been an aristocrat for hundreds of years and. But on the side, he's like sucking people's blood. If you want to see like the the best ever uh, depiction of Dracula, and I think probably the most faithful adaptation, there's an incredible film. Uh, you can probably get an eight millimeter copy of it. Uh, it's called Dracula Two Thousand. And uh, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> God, I know I remember that, bro. This guy Dude, has every so every freaking superpower. Listen to this. So not only is he hypnotic, telepathic, and can fly. He can vanish and reappear just wherever. He can command animals like rats, owls, bats, moths, foxes, and wolves. He can also shapeshift into a bunch of these animals like wolves or bats or a, or a large dog. And he controls weather. He can pretty much Damn, do whatever. Dude. And this is the creepiest thing maybe is that according to his Wikipedia, it is believed that he have gained his supernatural abilities through his dealings with the devil. Which is just tight. Like, that is where the best superpowers come from. Honestly. Yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 to me is like again. That's one. That's one one hundredth of why I picked Dracula. Is just like he has his crazy origins of like he is into the fact that he is a direct descendant of Attila the Hun, and he's like he is again a. You talked about Homelander kind of being a uh, like staunch racist. Like that's kind of where Dracula stands, and he's again, but he carries himself as this aristocrat and. He he's able to like not only not only women like kind of like womanize and then deceive them, but he's also able to do that to men and like bring them into his like court and make them feel like they're on his side. There's this like in the novel, one of the main characters, a guy named Jonathan Harker, who's like his uh his like main confidant that's gonna help him move to England. Dude, he takes this guy, which is essentially his best friend at the moment, and like seduces and vamp what's the word i'm looking for like vampirizes like turns into a vampire not only this dude's like fiance but his fiance's best Damn. friend and like kills their families Damn. and shit like dude he's fucking nuts like he he takes like this this woman who has like a boyfriend and turns her into a vampire and has her kill this dude's family and like children and stuff like it is crazy this stuff this guy does it's all it's all to create this base of like this He's going to have all these different layers throughout Greater London where he can suck people's blood. That's he's, wild. He is truly cold. He's cold-hearted. He's iconic. He's been represented in all these different films. He has entered the 
cultural lexicon of like what we consider to be a monster and he's got all these badass powers which again webb you kind of pointed out were kind of invented in this film or in this novel right where like these things were pretty novel in the moment when they were when this book came out in like the late 1800s so it dude he's he's awesome he's a great villain That's a great pick. he is evil as hell he's the um, original city boy i can't i really can't say any more about dracula yeah he's That's awesome. a great pick well my Andy, you're it's oh, back oh, to yeah, you my bad. Five. I was about to go in. Glad I didn't. Ooh, okay. I'm, well, I'm glad I got. I get to go. Hopefully, you, you weren't about to steal mine. Um, so for the fifth overall pick, uh, my guy, he's not. He's probably he's not as powerful as Count Dracula, and uh, probably not as evil. But he's still pretty fucking evil and pretty fucking tight. It's Alonzo Harris, Denzel oh! Washington's character from Training Day. I yeah. love that pick. Okay. Yeah. So quick quick note. Can I say something real quick? I had him as my number nine overall and I had an asterisk by it that was like Andy is going to yeah, pick yeah, him before. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I, yeah. I, I honestly <laughs> thought Andy would pick this as number one. It was it was down between this and Kaiser Soze, and I decided to go with the Alonzo Harris yeah. direction. So what I really love about this is that there is a really great American tradition around like cop noir movies where um, there's a crazy city and it's crime ridden and you need a cop that operates outside the bounds of the law. A lot of times they'll make him a private detective. Um, But even if he's not, they're like, it shows the the stories are all based around the idea that like someone who's truly operating in the name of justice doesn't just doesn't care where the law, you know, where their, their actions end and the law begins. It's all about like, they're going to do what's right regardless at the beginning of this movie, that's what you think Alonzo Harris is. Like, when you meet him, you think he's just this, like, hyper-competent, like, super-fucking-cool vet cop who's just, like, first day on the job, Ethan Hawke, he's like, bro, I'm gonna show you how we really fucking do L.A., okay? Like, we don't play around with, like, hanging out at the office and eating donuts. Get in my badass Cadillac Coupe de Ville. The, the scenery is, like, uh, where he goes, where's the office? He's back at the office, and he goes, and then uh, Samuel, or, uh, Denzel Washington looks at him and goes, you were in the office, baby, going up. And he hits the hydraulics on the Coupe de Ville and it starts playing fucking The Chronic by Dr. Dre. Um, But what we obviously see is that he is a fully crooked cop and kind of like the most crooked, crazy cop. He's like gotten into this situation with the Russian mob where they're going to fucking whack him. And so he's going to fucking kill one of his informants and take all his money. And he's like decided he's going to use Ethan Hawke on his training day as that guy. He has him fucking smoking PCP in the whip just so he can like get his, Hey, you talk that shit. I'll make sure your piss gets to the lab, which scary threat on your first day at a new job for sure. Um, but ultimately, he's just, like, one of the fucking most iconic, like, evil cop characters ever. And his the, his end is so great because you have a twofold ending for him. You have the scene in the neighborhood where he's surrounded by all the bloods. And, oh, yeah. and he does the King Kong ain't got shit on me. I'm putting just cases that, on all yeah. you bitches. Like, you guys are going to be playing basketball yeah. in Rikers, like, in Pelican Bay, which is so great. And, but he ends up surviving that, and you think he's going to get away, and he makes it to that stoplight, and those vans pull up and just spray him down with, like, 10,000 rounds of machine gun ammo. Yep. And it is, like, the most perfect ending to this dude who just, like, lived by the gun, died by the gun. He's an incredible villain. I didn't... And I think he's the perfect foil to Ethan Hawke, who is, like, 
yeah, the perfect day one police officer who's just like ignorant. Well, like, he even says just and, and truly trying to do, just truly trying to do what's right, like all the time, not in it for himself, willing to do self, to make sacrifices, selfless sacrifices for the good of other people. He saves that girl in the alley from getting raped, which ends up like saving his life. Um, in the famous, you know, life is fucking trippy, Holmes scene. So, yeah, smiley, it's awesome. Dude, uh, yeah, and I and I and dude, as far as like the the icon point, I I will say that something about the King Kong ain't got nothing on me is like it's just lived in kind of our it it really has gone down as like one of the better lines that any villain has said for whatever reason, just the moment and things. I as as kind of like cheesy as it is, it is it is a great moment, I guess, in like nineties. Everything he does is fucking outrageous. Like the fact that. He has a yeah. shotgun on a swivel bar underneath his bed so that he can fall to the floor and just swivel a shotgun one-handed and shoot people in the legs. Like, everything about him is apartment. ridiculous. Yeah, just at his chick's crib. Um, Dude, he is a... Uh, I'll apartment. say this. So, like, <laughs> he's an expert manipulator. He's obviously yeah. sadistic. And your point, Andy, to the fact that, like, he's a great foil for Ethan Hawke's character, he even says something in the beginning of the film where he's like, man, I used to be just like you. And I heard an interview with Anton Antoine Fuqua. Am I saying that right? Anton Fuqua? Yeah. Where he talked about this character, and he's like, he gave some depth that's not revealed in the movie, where he's like, man, I pictured this guy as like a cop who got on early, was, uh, you know, had had an... uh, maybe a black and white vision of the world, but then he realized he could move something to an inch to close a case. And then that inch became a foot. And before long, you knew yeah. it, he killed a Russian mobster in Las Vegas and owed the Russian mob a million dollars. And, uh, yeah, man, he's, he is a great, you could have picked him as the number one overall. And I would have thought that was a great pick. He clearly enjoys making Ethan Hawke uncomfortable for the entire movie. And I think the most sadistic scene in the movie is when he kills Glenn Scott with that shotgun. he, kneels down he's clearly smiling he's just like breathe you know like he is you you see that like a double dose of rock salt in your chest yeah man he gets he and i love how he refers to the shotgun as his the bitch hand me the bitch bitch. yeah yeah (laughs) yeah. bitch yeah Yeah. (laughs) dude great great the crew and his his little like cop unit is so ridiculous it's like him and dr dre and then oh i know i know (laughs) snoop dogg's also in it Dude, he just like Vader, dude, and uh, the guy from No Country for Old Men. He he wears all black. Like yep. he's a villain, dude. He, and he t- he's a and whenever he's in a shootout, he's got like amazing dude. When they get when they raid that lady's house to steal money from her, and they give her the Chinese food menu as the warrant, she's like, "I want to see that goddamn warrant." And when they go outside, those dudes start shooting at him, and you see Denzel just jump out the whip, pull out both guns, and just start walking. Bro, down he, the, like, just parks walking. in the middle of the street, wherever he goes. Yeah, he's just, like, doom, 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 car doom. running, dude. He clearly just, How you, you know, he's always manip- He's always the, asking people, would you rather go to jail, or no, would you rather go home? You want to go to jail, or you want to go home? Yeah, right, you want right. to go to jail, or you want to go home? And then in the, the culminating shootout, I think my favorite line of the whole thing is, just like you mentioned, he always calls his shotgun the bitch. He's in that shootout in the kitchen of his girlfriend's <laughs> apartment, and he, Jake is on the other side of the counter, and he goes, I'm surgical with this bitch, Jake. How you want it? You're just like, oh my god, dude! How intimidating! Like it's, so it's Denzel's best role. I think he won an Oscar for it. Um, <laughs> he did win an yeah, Oscar for this. Right it was bit. like the he yeah, was he the did, first black yeah. leading man to win an Oscar, which was a huge yeah. deal at the at the moment and super well deserved. I mean, I think it's he deserved it. Absolutely. I think it's probably my personal number two favorite Denzel. My favorite Denzel is Man on Fire because it's just such oh. a, like a tra- I love a good tragic role. Like it's so yeah. tragic how he like creasy like finally finds himself in this little girl and then dies which 
fucking incredible. But Training Day is like obviously his most iconic, like number one role, and well deserved, dude. This is an incredible villain, incredible antagonist. It's awesome. Well, that wraps up part one of our Best Villains podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe and give us a rating. And tell two friends, we greatly appreciate that. But more importantly, tune in next week where we go over part two and the final part of our uh, Best Villains draft. This is Sam with Novel Discourse. See you next time. Peace.